to turn to Acts chapter 21, and uh, I want to start in verse 30. Uh, Acts chapter 21 and verse 30, and um, we will read uh, through a portion down to verse 39, and Paul is going to find himself in a very uh, challenging place. And uh, but the Lord is still with him despite uh, the circumstances that he faces. But let's look to Acts chapter 21 and beginning in verse 30. The Bible says there, and all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. And then the chief captain came near, and he took him, and he commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another, among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the temple. For the multitude of the people followed after him and crying, away with him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said to the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not that Egyptian which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer or allow me to speak unto the people. And then verse 40, I did not include that. We'll pick up 40 next week. But 40 begins where Paul begins his defense uh, to a very hostile crowd. Uh, it's almost reminiscent of Acts chapter 7 whenever uh, Stephen is standing in front of a group of people that literally are about to kill him to try to take his life because uh, he has preached to them in the way uh, that he spoke to them. And uh, so Paul finds himself in a very similar situation and <clears throat> much of chapter 22 uh, is taken up uh, with his defense that he has. I, I have said, and I've heard Brother Patterson say it before, I've heard uh, other ministers, you've heard this before, that wherever Paul went, uh, there was either a riot or a revival. And sometimes there was both. Sometimes revival broke out, and sometimes a riot broke out. But when you start looking through the book of Acts, uh, there are a number of times uh, where that there are incidents that take place of where that Paul finds himself in much opposition. Some of that, uh, he suffered physical harm, bodily harm in Acts 13. He almost literally uh, lost his life. Uh, and then there's others where that he was able to slip away 
Uh, but in chapter 9 and verses 23 and 25, there was that opposition where he was in Damascus. You remember where that uh, he was there, he was struck down on the road to Damascus. And uh, he, while he was waiting for his eyesight to recover, and then Ananias came and spoke to him, then you start seeing Paul uh, slipping over the wall of Damascus. And I, I may have mentioned this before in the past, but give thought to this right now that Paul's ministry starts off and let's take a trip in our minds and let's go around to the medical center. And let's ride around the circle and get to the medical center. And the medical center has seven stories in it. How many of you would like to go up to the fifth floor or the sixth floor of the medical center and for a group of four or five men uh, to put you into a basket and tie ropes to the corners of that basket and then for them to let you down that 50 or 60 feet uh, out of that window of the medical center. How many of you would volunteer uh, to do that? I, I would not want to do that, and yet that was Paul. Paul was, was literally being let down uh, in that basket by those men because there were people that were coming <coughs> to, uh, <coughs> to kill the apostle Paul. And, and a lot of times when you read... In Scripture, you see it. Yeah, he was let down in the basket and they put him down and let him over that wall. But when you start literally thinking about what was taking place, that, that was a horrific uh, deal. I can remember when I was a kid, sometimes we'd go to Six Flags or Disney World or wherever and I would get up in those, those, high, in those uh, sky rides, sky lifts. Those things used to terrify me. And uh, I remember one time as a youth group, we all loaded up, went to Six Flags, and the one at Six Flags seemed to be one of the highest that, that, was, that you could ride in. And I can remember being so scared that I would not get in a car uh, with, with other people. I would let them get in, and then I'd get in one by myself, and then I'd hunker down, and, and I wouldn't, I'd look at the floor the whole way until we got to the other side because of the height that is there. And here's the Apostle Paul is being put over that wall so that uh, he can escape. We get to chapter 13. Uh, notice in that column there to your far right uh, of that table there, the majority of the times where uh, that Paul was put in danger was because it was being instigated by the Jewish religious leaders, that they hated him. And they determined, they said, we're going to do our best to try to destroy and to try to kill this man because of what God is trying to do uh, in his life. And so in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they receive a positive response from the pro-council and they ended up being able to escape. 1350, they're driven out of Pisidian, uh, Antioch. Uh, in 14.5, they flee from a mob in, in Iconium. And then in 14.19, Paul is nearly killed in Lystra. That's where they stone him. And then they take him outside the city and they throw him out there and they leave him for dead. It's basically like they have just literally just beat the life out of him and then took him outside and just threw him outside 
uh, of the town and left him uh, for dead. I, I want to also remind you uh, that in that day that there was no Tylenol, uh, there was no ibuprofen, uh, there was no Lortab, there was no morphine. And Paul literally endured the pain of that. Think about this whenever you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, that it talks about the beatings that he endured. And so he would be beaten and then he would be thrown into a jail cell and imagine his back being torn and lacerated and then him being thrown in on a dirty floor where the, you've got rats and roaches and all sorts of vermin that's running around there. That gets in connection with that skin and then he gets an infection that starts. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, people, I guess when I was in the hospital, the highest I ever seen uh, somebody's core body temp was 108 degrees. And uh, that was probably, that was in the sometime between 1987 and 1989 when I was working in SICU at Flowers. And there was a guy that was riding a bicycle uh, in Hartford and a truck come by that had those big mirrors and uh, they hit him, and it hit him in the back of the head. And from all the swelling, the brain controls your temperature. And whenever we started getting his core body temp, his temp was 108 degrees, which your normal temp's 98.6. And uh, we were doing our best with cooling blankets and alcohol and ice, trying to get the guy cooled down. He died uh, several days later after that. Uh, but imagine Paul, and there was other patients that I've seen, and when they start having a fever babbling out of their head, out of their mind, the Apostle Paul had to endure that kind of suffering and that kind of challenge. And I think about sometimes that around here, and I'm not talking to y'all tonight that are fanning, okay? Uh, but sometimes when it gets a little warm in here, uh, it's like, oh dear God, my, my comfort level is... Uh, Y'all got to do something. You, you know what I'm saying? Or if, if somebody preaches too long, oh, dear, oh my goodness, my Lord, what in the world are we going to do? Uh, or if you come in here and you have a, a bad, what they call bad church, um, and I know a pastor in Texas, he's passed on now, pastored in Lufkin for many years. He told some ministers, he said, I love bad church. And they said, you got to be kidding me. And they said, oh, so, oh, yeah. He said, I love bad church. He said, I love for our church to have about six weeks of just the deadest, driest, shucks church that you can find. And they looked at him. As, his name was Brother Davis. They said, Brother Davis, what in the world do you mean? He said, oh, yeah. He said, because when we get over that hump of that dry spell, he said, it makes people so appreciative and so thankful for what they've got. And, and sometimes I think about that in, in, our, in our day and in our time, uh, that if we're not in a, if everything's just not just right, oh boy, it's, it's get on Facebook, it's call somebody, it's send somebody a text, we gotta get this straightened out and taken care of. I, I want to keep in mind what these apostles had to go through and uh, I did get a message uh, here just a few days ago. And again, I'm careful because some of this stuff, it gets, y'all know how fake news is, okay? And so I don't know uh, the ability to confirm this or not, but I did get it from a pretty reputable source that 
there were some apostolic families in Afghanistan and the Taliban came in and they basically, those, they killed those families uh, because they were Christians and uh, then that they, the word was, was that they were apostolic. That's the world that we live in. That makes my problems and my challenges so minute and minuscule that I'm times embarrassed to tell the Lord, Lord, I, I need you to fix this little doodad in my life. And, uh, and so then in Acts chapter 16, uh, we get to Philippi, Paul and Silas beaten and imprisoned. Uh, that was caused by anti-Semitism. Uh, 1710, uh, Paul escapes without responding to the charges. And then in 1714, he flees Berea. And again, notice that the majority of these times came from the religious leaders and the Jewish people that were trying to cause him uh, to have problems. We get to Acts chapter 19. You remember the riots that are taking place in uh, Ephesus, and they yell for three hours, great is Diana, and uh, Paul was in a very difficult spot there. And, uh, and then you get to the place where we have read to you here tonight about the riots that are taking place in uh, the, the temple uh, there in, in Jerusalem. And again, I pray the Lord forgives us uh, of the very soft resistance uh, that sometimes we face. And there, there are people literally, I, don't, I, I know I, you, I can't even hardly believe I'm going to have to say this right now, but do y'all realize that there are people that don't come to this church because brother, they don't like Brother Patterson or they don't like me? Now, I, 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 I believe that they don't like Brother Patterson. <laughs> but I can't imagine somebody not liking me. But, but that's, that's true. There are people that literally do not come to church. And, and there's other times where they don't come to church because they're, they upset, they're upset with some saint. And they're, they're like, boy, I'm going to throw in the towel and I'm going to quit. God deliver us from that. That we've got a job to do and we've got to advance the kingdom of God and that these apostles, that they literally gave their lives for what we are experiencing here uh, tonight. And Paul demonstrated, demonstrated great persistence and courage uh, in the face of a lot of difficulties. And uh, so, so now we get to Acts uh, chapter 21 we're concluding the third missionary journey and now Paul is starting in to the last run. He's starting, he's heading toward the finish line. Uh, the last little bit of his life is gonna be spent there in Rome, uh, in and around Rome. In fact, he's gonna be a prisoner from this point on. Uh, some of that is gonna be in a jail cell. Some of that's gonna be under house arrest. But for the rest of Paul's life, he basically is going to be a, a prisoner. And, uh, uh, and, and he'll finally end his life whenever uh, he's been beheaded by Nero. But despite his imprisonment, Paul is going to write four of the New Testament epistles. Now, I want you to kind of keep this in mind. 
there, there are two groupings of, of epistles that Paul has written uh, in the New Testament. Now, if, if you say that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, then he wrote 14 of the New Testament epistles. Uh, if you don't think he wrote the book of Hebrews, he wrote 13 New Testament epistles. But either way, ever how you divide that, there were five of those epistles that he wrote in prison. And I want to point those out to you here tonight. Ephesians is one of the most powerful doctrinal epistles that you find written. Philippians is one of the most upbeat and encouraging epistles that Paul writes. And then the book of Colossians, it is another, it is another uh, spiritual wealth. Uh, that, that it talks a lot just about the matter of the oneness of God. And that's what Colossians is about. Again, very doctrinal in nature. And then he writes Philemon uh, from prison as well. Philemon, a very short little postcard, but it deals uh, with forgiveness. And there are some characters that are there. A man by the name of Onesimus. And Paul is, is writing in uh, writing to Philemon and Onesimus and, and all that is taking place there as a runaway slave and Paul is talking about forgiveness there. And then also 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is what would be considered a prison epistle. And so those five books, and I don't know if you write in your Bible, uh, but I, I like to write in my Bible and I have written those uh, just at the beginning of all of those epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Philemon, and then 2 Timothy have written out uh, that those were places where that those are Paul's prison epistles. And then the journey epistles. Now what do we mean by the journey epistles? We mean that he either wrote those either on a boat while he was out in the Mediterranean or he wrote those while he was at a, um, at, at a city uh, in establishing the church. In fact, the book of Romans uh, was written while he was working in Corinth. And so Romans, First uh, and Second Corinthians, Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, First Timothy, and Titus, all of those epistles fall into the category of journey epistles that he wrote those while uh, that he was traveling. And yet, here's what Luke does. Luke comes along, and whenever Luke is writing, Luke gives us, not, not, here, here, here's the part uh, about Luke that what he does is, is Luke gives in this last segment, starting from 21 all the way to 28, there are some defenses or some, some sermons, if you want to call it that, that, that the Apostle Paul preaches or teaches. And, and here's what he does. He speaks to the mob uh, at Jerusalem there in Acts 21, 27 through 22, verse 22. He speaks to the Sanhedrin council, uh, Acts 22, 30 through 23, 7. And then he speaks to Felix. He speaks to Festus, to Herod Agrippa, and then to the Jews at Rome in Acts chapter 28. Now when we get into this matter of especially of Agrippa and we start talking about all of the intertwining works of these characters, you talk about debauchery 
and messed up dysfunctional things. It is unbelievable the sin that is invested in these men, their political leaders uh, in their, their lives. And yet Paul stands up and he preaches the gospel uh, to those men. There's more than 200 verses uh, that are devoted to these historical defenses that, that Paul is going to give to them. Now, now, here's the thing about Luke. Luke is not only a historian. We know that Luke wrote uh, the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Luke is very detailed. If you read uh, the book of Luke, in fact, it's the longest uh, of, the, of the, even though Matthew's got 24 or 28 chapters, um, the gospel of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Luke is the longest of those because Luke goes into a lot of detail as a historian. So when he comes along and picks up and starts writing the book of Acts, there's that part where that not only is he a detailed historian, but Luke also is a theologian. And one of the reasons, and you'll see whenever we get into this next Wednesday night, whenever Paul makes his defense, you'll begin to see that there are some things that Luke writes in, not only from the point of history, but also of theology. And what is he doing? He's saying, I want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to be able to show you who this this God-man, this man that has been robed in flesh, that literally is God walking among man, and that's what Luke does. And so as the journal uh, starts to unfold and you start seeing the story there, here's what you find out, that there's great similarities between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul which is very, very unique because I want you to turn back with me to Acts chapter 9. And I didn't put this in your notes, but let's, let's work on this for a second. Turn back uh, to, to Acts chapter 9 and look in verse 3. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Acts 9, 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. Talking about Saul of Tarsus or Paul. He heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks or against the goads. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, notice, and the reason that I read that is because Saul of Tarsus was an enemy of God. But after his conversion, the work of the Spirit morphed him into becoming a man that was very much molded in to being like Jesus Christ. Both of them were rejected by their own people and uh, were arrested and imprisoned. They were unjustly accused and betrayed by false witnesses. Both of them were slapped in the face in court. Both were the focus of secret Jewish plots. Both had frenzied mobs to scream away with him. 
Both had to endure a series of five trials. Jesus had to stand before Annas uh, and, and he had in Caiaphas as well, high priest there, the Sanhedrin, King Herod, Antipas, and then he stood before Pilate twice. Paul had a series of five trials by the crowd, the Sanhedrin, by King Herod Agrippa II, and by the uh, procurators Felix and Festus. So there's very much a lot of similarity that you find between the Apostle Paul and between uh, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to turn uh, with me to Philippians chapter 3. Look in Philippians chapter 3 and I want to start uh, in verse 10. This is a familiar uh, portion of scripture I believe for most of us but look at what Paul writes to the church at Philippi 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection as the dead not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend or pursue that for which I am also appar- or which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Turn back with me now uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and let's look at verses uh, 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10. Here's what Paul is writing. Now remember we're talking about the comparisons between the two, Paul and Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And so again, his desire, he says, I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look that as he got toward his death that there was that part that he did become uh, that man that the Lord wanted him to be. I, I think that uh, you see that, and I, I was thinking about Sister Money, and uh, Teresa and I were talking about uh, Sister Money. You look around, the, the reason that Johnny and Mary Loveless are in the church is because of Sister Money. The reason Sheila is in the church is because of Sister Money. Um, she had an impact on her family, Jay and Charlotte Cochran uh, in, in Eufaula, uh, Tim Fears in Nebraska, of course, Tim grew up here, but, but Sister Money had an impact uh, in their lives. And I, I would just tell you, those and her family loves her. But they ought to be especially grateful that she was the one that led the way and got them into the church. And now at 80 years old, she passes from this life, and uh, I believe she received her reward. Uh, she was here uh, just two months ago. 
And uh, Sister Money just, uh, she always enjoyed coming to church. And of course, she moved away before we were in this uh, sanctuary regularly, but in my mind's eye, and I'm sure most of you have that same deal, that, that always right back on that back little row on that last side over on the right, that that was where Sister Money was at. She sat there for years and, and was in the church and was faithful and, and uh, challenges that, that she did face with uh, some of the, the complexities that she had to deal with with her, with her family, and yet she continued to serve the Lord faithfully. And I just want to tell you something. When you get tired and weary, you don't forget this, that there are people that are hanging on you. I want you to think about that. And so before you throw your hands up, and say, I tell you, I've just had it, I'm, I'm, et cetera. So you have no clue. Every person in this room has somebody that's hanging on them. Which brings to mind a sermon that Brother Anthony Mangan preached back, uh, it was probably back in the early 90s. I'm sure you can find it probably somewhere. In fact, I think I've got an MP3 of it, but I'm certain you can probably find it on uh on uh, YouTube, but he preached a message and was on a Father's Day uh, there in Alexandria, a, a message. It was a message of the year uh, for that church, 92, 93, something like that, but it was called A Nail in a Sure Place, and uh, he just preached about his dad and about the impact that Brother G.A. Mangan had on Brother Anthony, and I just want to just, just tonight, uh, every person and all the people that's watching uh, you, listen to me. You have people that are hanging on you and you can't afford to say, you know what, I'm done. Um, we, we've got to serve God with everything uh, inside of us. Now here's something that's very uh, odd, I guess if you want to say that, is that it appears that the Roman judicial system was more helpful to Jesus and more helpful to Paul than what the Jewish legal system was. Because the Jewish legal system there in the Sanhedrin was doing their best to kill and to destroy both of these men's lives. And so we get to our text here, verse 30 and 31 talks about the riot uh, that took place there in that city. <coughs> and all the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and, and they drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, We've had a summer of riots, riots last year. And uh, we uh, start giving consideration uh, to all of that that's, that's taking place. And you start, I'm, I know that a lot of you uh, saw uh, various pictures and things taking place around uh, our country. Uh, but, but just think about it here for, for just a moment. Uh, about how that Paul was dropped into the middle of a chaotic, rioting situation. Here, here's what it says. It says, and all the city was moved, and then the last phrase of verse 31 was that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. 
as absolute chaos and violence that was being stirred up over one man. We're going we're gonna to kill this guy. We're going we're gonna to do everything we can to destroy this guy. Now, somebody would like to get a free um, king-size butterfinger. Here, here's, here's, your, here's your chance to get one. Can you tell me what this guy's name is? Um, it says, in the city was moved, people ran together, they took Paul, and as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band. Can somebody, does anybody know what the chief captain of the band, you know what his name is? If somebody can tell me what his name is, I'll give you a super duper big size butterfinger. You can use Google. If you've got a good cross-reference Bible, you can cheat a little bit and you can look at the cross-reference there and it'll point you to a verse, maybe. If you've got a, anybody see it? Give you about 10 seconds. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Uh, I don't think so. All right, time's ticking. Anybody? Wrong. It's his. Is he is? It does. He's named specifically. Sister, Sister Natalie Fears has just got a giant size Butterfinger candy bar. I'll, I'll bring it to you Sunday. What, what's, it, what's his name? Okay, so where'd you find that at? Okay, Romans. Okay, all right. Everybody look at, first I want you to turn to Acts 26 or 23, 26. Look at Acts 23, 26. Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. And then turn over to, you said Acts chapter 24, verse 7. And the chief captain Lysias, or Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Now, why did I make a big deal out of that? It's because I wanted you to see how precise that scripture is. And Luke writes it in, this is a very important detail. And so he wants us to know that this captain who saves Paul's life. Now obviously, it's under the sovereignty and the providence of God. Now, I just want you to know this, okay? You, you're not going to be done with your life until the Lord says you're done. Okay? This mob could not kill the Apostle Paul. There was no way. 
And so what the Lord did was the Lord dropped this man in. Now, if you get to looking in behind the Greek word, if you've got the Touch Bible app and you click on, put your finger on that where it says chief captain of the band, that means that he was in charge of 1,000 Roman soldiers. Now, Now, think about that for a moment. Okay, right there in the city of Jerusalem, you've got, and I've got you a picture there. If you turn over a couple of pages, uh, you will see uh, Herod's temple on the Temple Mount. That covered a 35, that's on page 5 in the notes. Uh, that, that covered a 35-acre uh, area, then that temple was sitting on top. Do You see up in the upper portion of that upper right, which is actually the northeastern uh, region of the temple, and you see it says Antonio or Antonia Fortress. That is where those Roman soldiers were, were at, and there were a thousand of those soldiers that worked in and out of that. Now, so we pointed out there's a detail that is with that. I want to point out one more detail. We'll probably get to this before uh, the night's over with, but I want you to look into Acts 21 uh, and 33. Uh, Here's what the Bible says. It says, Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Now, why am I pointing out this matter of him being commanded to be bound with two chains and then wanting to know who he was and so forth? Why is that important? Because you remember a man by the name of Agabus. Do you remember who Agabus was? What was his, what was his role? A prophet. Okay? Agabus was a prophet. You remember? Agabus prophesied to Paul. He said, this, this man, when he goes to Jerusalem, you remember he pulled off his belt. King James says his girdle. But he pulled off his belt bound his hands together. He said, this man who, who wears this belt, he said, whenever he gets to, when he gets to Jerusalem, his hands are going to be bound. And so when, when Luke is writing, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, because in 20, Acts 21, it's where, it's where Agabus um, is talking about, I'm not sure about that reference, I've got it here, uh, don't hold me to that. I think it's 21, 20, where's 21, 12 or so. Um, yes, 21, 11. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That happened and so whenever he starts, when Luke starts writing, he wants you to unfold, it unfolds so that. I, again, I want to emphasize this here, that the Bible is accurate. The Bible is alive. It is important that we know what the Bible has to say. And, and so this riot that's going on here, uh, Paul is now in the temple. Uh, how, why, did, why was he in Jerusalem? Well, he's going to go back down. And the Bible tells us that he begins to tell the story of what's taking place with these thousands of Gentile converts that, has, um, that, has been, that have been converted. 
And whenever he tells the elders what has taken place, he leaves there, he goes to the temple. Why is he going to the temple? He's going to worship. And whenever he gets in the temple and begins to worship, the rabble rousers that are on the outside, they start stirring things up and they start directing some false charges against him. Verse 27, Acts 20. Um, Acts chapter 21, look in verse 27. Here's what, uh, here's what Luke writes. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, they stirred up all the people and laid hands on him and began to lodge some charges. And here's what they said. He had insulted the Jewish people by turning the world against them. Here's what Paul had said. He had told them, your nationality does not matter about salvation. Gentiles can be saved. You don't have to be a Jew to be saved. Now, when he writes the book of Romans, he asks a question. He said, is it helpful that, that we were born a Jew? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's helpful. But there are people that can be saved who are not Jews. And so they accused him of that. The second thing was, was they said that he had taught the law of Moses with its customs and rituals were not binding. Here's what Paul had said. Paul had taught that the law was not binding on the Gentiles for salvation. Were there some Jewish converts that were still practicing the law? Yes, there were. And yet Paul was saying, whenever those Jews tried to say, well, you've got to adhere to the law, Paul said, no, no, they don't have to adhere to the law. Now, if you want to continue with the law, then you can. But it is not a merit for salvation. And that's where that Paul got into it with some people called the Judaizers, which is what the book of Galatians is all about. It deals with that matter of whether or not that, the, that you have to adhere to the law. Now, I want to just, just throw this out here, okay? Maybe I ought to shut my eyes when I say this, but I want to I be sure that we understand this, that everybody does not have to fit into my cookie cutter for me to feel like that they are going to be saved. Okay? Amen. Now, we're deep south, and we've got a lot of religious traditions and I feel like that some of those religious traditions that we've got, they strengthen what we do. Okay? I just want to just, they, they do. They help us in our walk with God. But if you run off up north and you get up there and they don't do it like we do it down here, that doesn't mean that they're lost. If you get to Africa or if you get to Romania, or if you get to Germany and they don't do it exactly the way we do it here, here's what we do know. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, immersed. You've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of speaking with tongues. Amen. We also know that there's got to be a separation from the world. And yet, y'all trust, trust me, okay? I want to be able to go back to Africa, but I spent 10 days in Africa, in Accra, in Ghana, 
And I, I'm telling you, I, my hat is off to, to the, the Sullys and to the Ciscos and to the Bennetts and uh, to all of those people who are African missionaries, okay? I'm telling you, my hat is off to those folks. But when you walk into that place, it's concrete floors, there are no, there's no air conditioner. The buildings, the sanctuaries were about a third of the size of right here. They, they have got drums and keyboards and guitars, and I'm telling you, if that sound system isn't squealing, it isn't working. It's so loud in there, you couldn't hear it thunder. And I'm on the front row, and I'm telling you, man, they are getting with it from the get-go. I'm just going to tell you now, I couldn't handle that. <laughs> and the older I get, I think, oh, my Lord, I'm getting to be an old man. I, I can't handle Y'all turn it down. Let's sing some slow songs. I don't want to run. I don't want to run. Let's just sing slow songs. Let's just sit here and think about it, okay? All right? But, but what I have to realize is that those folks in Africa are just as saved as what I am. Amen. And, and that's, that's what Paul was saying. Paul is saying that the law is not binding on the Gentiles. Amen. And then the third thing that comes up was that they said that he had polluted the temple and that he had taught against it. Now, some of that had to do with previous fellow by the name of Trophimus and uh, said that, that you know, they had gotten him in there and he had defiled the temple. Here's what Paul did say. Paul did say that your, your, your adherence to the temple is in a certain way, but here's what he said. And he, he really talked about this some at Mars Hill, but he said, listen to me. He said, God uh, is not confined to a temple that is built and designed with man's hands. He said, you can worship God anywhere. God can be with you in the car. God, God can be with you in your home. God can be with you in this sanctuary. And that's what his point was, but it got him in trouble. And so what happened was, was the troublemakers uh, started stirring up things and created a lot of calamity in there. Now, we sometimes, and this again is one of the instances in the Acts account where things are not as rosy and divine as what we want to think they are. You ever heard people, oh yeah, we want to book Acts church. Well, I'm not ready to be beat up and put in prison and all that. But you hear people say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we want to book an Acts church. And yet it's not always as rosy and as clean and clear as what we would like. If you think it's like that, let's look at these scriptures that we have there. 1 Corinthians 3 and 3. Here's what Paul writes. He says, for you are yet carnal. And for where is there is among you envying and strife and divisions? Are you not carnal and you walk like men? 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you as such as you would not. There are debates and envies and wraths and strifes and backbitings and whisperings and swellings and tumults. That was in the early apostolic church. Philippians 4, 2. I beseech you, Sally, 
I beseech you, Mary, that you be of the same mind in the Lord. Okay, now I changed those names there because Euodius and Syntyche were two women that got crossways in the church in Philippi and they were creating a ruckus. And Paul tells Syzygus, true yoke fella, he said, would you go in there and get those two women and try to get them on the same page because all they're fighting and carrying on is creating a calamity in the church. And so Sally and Mary got crossways. And then he gets on some of the guys in 1 Timothy 6, 4. He's proud. He doesn't know anything. He dotes about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings. James 3, 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. 3 John 9 and, and Diotrephes is a classic character. He's kind of an obscure character, but he is a scary character because here's what John writes. He said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, he receives us not. And I've been reading some writings about the early revivals, and they talked about that there was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that those men of God, that what they did was they walked in humility and they were not quote-unquote rock stars. I'm afraid that there are a lot of modern-day apostolic rock stars that instead of pointing us to the Lord and to His Word and pointing us to altars of prayer, that they really are pointing, look at me. Look at me. If you want to get healed, you come under my ministry. If you want God to really do something, then you come under my role of authority. Now, do we need spiritual authority? Absolutely. Brother Patterson talked about it last Wednesday night, Hebrews 13. But hear me, church. We can't afford to have rock stars like Diotrephes who desires preeminence. Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to let you out early because there's rain coming. I knew it was coming, but I thought it was coming at 9 o'clock. Don't y'all tell anybody I'll let y'all out because it was raining, okay? <laughs> but I want you to get to your car before it's because it's coming. But I, I appreciate you being here tonight. We would have went another 12 minutes, but anyways, we'll clear out of here and the Lord will help us. Let's lift our hands and thank him for the word. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. And I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that some of the lessons, Lord, that we have, Lord, drawn out of these words that Luke wrote to us, that, Jesus, that you would help us, Lord, to let our lives be filled with repentance and be filled with humility and be filled, Lord, with spiritual power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.